Author Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl spent, well, the better part of a decade studying the post, what one writer called the post drunk hell for a book called <laughs> Hangover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. And I do kind of like that you did a lot of informal research before you started the actual research for the book. Yeah, I, I find that uh, the best stuff comes when I'm uh, out of my depth and mm. have uh, no idea what I'm doing. That's when the, the audience <laughs> or the uh, or, or the reader tends to get the most out of it, I find. Yeah, and well, I mean, to jump back a little bit, I mean, you lived in Tent City for a while. You've done all sorts of things, which I almost use the word stunts, and that's not mm-hmm. it at all. But you do, you it's immersive. It's immersive for sure. And, and I think one of the big links is that uh, whether it's laziness or genius, <laughs> one of the things I tend to do is no preliminary research whenever I go into right? a, a situation. And I've been uh, a, a journalist, you yeah. could say, for a f- couple decades now, and that's kind of my mo is to is that the less I know going in, the more I'm going to learn. <laughs> it, it, that's it, I guess. You walk in with a clean slate. Mm. I love interviews that Mark Marin does. He does these mm. podcasts and he does no research whatsoever. And he starts off, he interviews Neil Young and he says, so uh, I hear you're from Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but what, it, 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 I mean, it's the, the dumbest question in the world, <laughs> except that Neil Young was then forced to come up with a story about being from Canada that he probably hadn't told in a long time. And there's right. something about the informal nature of it that, that, minds amazing answers and stories from right. his guests. And for me, uh, a lot of the stories I like reading the most are ones where the uh, the one who's telling it is is also on, on in discovery mode. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it, uh, it's not that, hey, I have something to explain to you, but rather, <laughs> let's try to figure this stuff out. So know? why the interest in hangovers? I mean, most of us, have had them. Mm -hmm. Most of us, once they're gone, don't ever want to think about them again. Right. So I I guess I would reverse the question and say, why have we had so little interest in hangovers for so long? In fact, there almost seems, and the more I dug into it, to be some sort of almost mental or psychological block against thinking about it too much, um, which is one of the many dichotomies of anything to do uh, with this mysterious molecule called alcohol, yeah. you know? Um, but but the more I looked into it, I, at the beginning, thought that this was kind of a dumb idea. <laughs> the idea was uh, brought to me, even though I had put it in another person's head. A publicist had overheard me speaking at a barbecue about hangovers had basically eavesdropped in on a conversation. <laughs> and I got a call uh, a couple months later from this uh, publicist at HarperCollins, which was strange because I was a Random House author, right. and inviting me to their yearly party. And I said, uh, sure, I'll come drink your free wine yeah, and yeah. eat your free cheese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, did, I didn't know I was being invited. I went there and he said, hey, I remember this conversation uh, that I was listening in on uh, that you were having about hangovers. Uh, do you think that would make a, a good book? And I said, hell no. Who would read that? You know, Uh, but then we had a few drinks and uh, by the end of the night, we were sitting in a corner going, oh, and it could be about this and this and this. And suddenly this sort of portal to all of human experience had opened up. And then the more I uh, sort of um, did the research, I started to find these really almost mysterious connections, it seemed, among hangovers and so many facets of being human. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, going back through uh, history to uh, d- different religions, um, metaphysics, psychology, uh, philosophies, where they just seem to there seem to be these lines that hadn't been brought together, and that when I thought about hangovers, they were suddenly brought together. So I went down all those weird boozy rabbit holes and came back with the, that book you have on your it's desk the there. Behemoth yeah. of a it's book. A, it's a, it's a doorstopper. Do you know though? It at one point it was three times that length. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And and what happens in a situation like that? I know I had to cut a book down by about half once. Yeah. And uh, it was painful. I always write long, so yeah. I'm used to it by now. Uh, my previous books have always have all had a what I thought was a final draft that was right. twice the length that it ended up being. <laughs> and I, I actually have come to the point where I enjoy the the carving away at that the block yeah. of marble. Yeah. I, I found that I learned a lot from it. I learned. Uh, just the idea of of making sure that if there's a point that is made and it is made well enough, you don't need to reiterate it again a hundred pages later. There's that and, and that I'll, sort of thing for sure. And because we have time, as opposed to most of the shows I go on, I yeah. can actually tell you this other thing, which is that uh, there was uh, a large part of the book, I would say near eighty pages or so, that was actually cut uh, because of the subject matter oh. as well. Uh, there was a draft of this book that was much darker right. than the one that you have uh, there. And um, the publishers, and I think in their wisdom, thought this this is not going to work as a stocking stuffer. Right. <laughs> you know? right. uh, so, so some of the sort of hints of uh, of some of the darkness in the yeah. book were not hints. They were, they were hit you in the face experiences. Yeah, because you really talk about hangovers from the ancient Greeks onward and, you know, it, it's remarkable how, well, I mean, there's always been hangovers. As long mm-hmm. as there's been alcohol, there's been hangovers. But it's remarkable, uh, sort of the, the stories, some of the cures. You talk about some of the cures. Now, we'll get to your cure sure. a little bit later on. You're patented. I don't know why you don't have a patent on this thing. <sighs> we'll, we'll get That's, there. That was just a long size. That yeah. <laughs> That's my answer to that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get <laughs> okay. there. Uh, because if you can cure the hangover, you yeah. can rule the world. It's still a... We, we can do, shall we get to that now? Let's get that. Okay. So uh, what form does your research take when you're, when you're sitting down? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you would think, okay, well, I'll just go out, I'll go out drinking. I'll see what mm-hmm. happens. I'll, I'll take an aspirin before mm-hmm. I go to bed one night and see if mm-hmm. it lessens my hangover. But there had to be guidelines all the way along. Otherwise, if the research takes different forms every time you do right. it, then it, then it's not a right. test. Group. Well, one of the reasons that this book took so long is that, well, I wish you'd been there at the beginning to explain this to me, Richard, because <laughs> I'm not a scientist um, and I'm not the most methodical human being to begin with. Right. Uh, so there was a lot of trial, I would say trial and error, but most people watching would have just said error right? right? right. for a long time. Um, I, I'm not versed in the scientific method. I had to almost accidentally discover <laughs> Um, So there were a lot of experiments that went sideways, that were worthless. Uh, I think one of the first ones that I write about in the book is this trip I took down to Vegas, uh, where I was trying to test out the self-reported hangover doctor Mm -hmm. um, who has a clinic down there called Hangover Heaven. And I had this brilliant idea where I would go and drink too much and then put myself in his hands to be healed and then go do things that you would never ever want to do with a hangover, like drive a Ferrari race car or go (laughs) and uh, pilot a fighter plane for the first time in your life or, you know, shoot bazookas, things like that. The the thing that I didn't um, uh, account for was understanding when 
the 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 line between intoxicated and hungover, and so right. I I realized too late that I was doing I was doing all these things drunk rather yeah, than you're hungover. Yeah, actually drunk driving and that Yes, Ferrari, and then yeah. I was mortified to realize that I'd just been a drunk driver. Yeah. Now it was on a closed track, so all I was going to do is hurt myself and a million dollar car. But you know those <laughs> these very um, basic uh, controls were not in place. But, but I also, uh, I think, point out in the book that even for most people who have tested um, or studied hangovers, real scientists mm-hmm. throughout the ages uh, have made these very basic mistakes too. You find studies where, you, uh, you know, in reading it, I realized, hell, these people aren't hungover yet. They're still intoxicated. Well, well, and the thing about alcohol, I was a bartender for a very long time. And, and the thing about people drinking mm-hmm. is that you will have someone come in and drink five beers one night and walk out straight as an arrow. And then you'll have that same person come in the next day and they haven't eaten or they haven't slept or whatever. They have two beers and they're slumped over the bar. So it's, it's, it, it's different every day. Your body reacts differently. Right. And which brings us back to your question about how I created controls. Mm-hmm. And so even when I would go to great lengths to say, okay, now I'm going to drink the same thing I did last week at yeah. this same time <laughs> uh, and test out this remedy or that one, it still didn't account for the magic, the mm-hmm. black magic of, of, <laughs> of alcohol, this, uh, this really strange thing uh, that we still don't understand very much about how alcohol works or how it affects us. Most um, intoxicants, we understand uh, you know, what receptor it hits in the brain, right. how it works, at, at what dose. Alcohol, we don't have that understanding. The best that uh, scientists can come up with when they describe how it uh, affects us is a sort of cat's pawing of our frontal lobe, (laughs) (laughs) which is not very specific. I'm speaking with Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. Uh, So you... You had your controls in place. We just have about a minute left in this sure. So you had your controls in place uh, after a certain mm-hmm. uh, period of time. After a few years. <laughs> after a few years of <laughs> yes. informal research, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, and you figured it out. And and from that point, uh, do you start off doing, I mean, some of the larger things, drawing a Ferrari and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which are detailed here. Um, did you? What else did you do? They couldn't all sure. be big Sure. You know, uh, you, you know I, I went back digging through, and there's not very much of it, but digging through literature dating back as far as I could with mm-hmm. some help with a, a wonderful uh, researcher friend of mine uh, in, in, named Yannick Porpois. Um, I, I found things like the old Victorian chimney sweep method where they would uh, sell around Christmas time these little pouches of soot from, mm-hmm. the, from the hearth that you were to mix in warm milk and drink down before imbibing. Yeah. So I did that. Um, <laughs> I made the great mistake of mixing that one with an old Mediterranean uh, remedy, which was to take a, a shot of olive oil before right. drinking. I stupidly combined these two very different cultural, uh, yep. you know, attempts at remedy to disastrous um, uh, effect. <laughs> when we come back, we'll continue the sure. conversation with Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. Uh, we'll talk about the disastrous results sure. of that mixture <laughs> when we come back. Stay with us. 
Welcome back. In studio, Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. He's the author of Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. Uh, this is an age-old problem. We mm-hmm. there, There's mentions of hangovers in ancient Greek literature. Uh, it, uh, the American West was founded on alcohol and hangovers. I mean, this is this is nothing new. Why hasn't there been a cure? We talked about this. Mm-hmm. I think it's moral reasons. I think that uh, for uh, many, many years, and maybe even through today, it was one of those things like, well, I did this and I deserve it. And, you know, I did this to myself and I feel crappy today, but I shouldn't have drank 10 beers last night. Sure. I would say um, it's a nexus of moral reasons um, maybe the continuation of the species, mm. um, along with some very pragmatic ones, it, uh, b- b- by which I mean that throughout history, medical professionals have been busy. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they've had <laughs> curing polio deal. and things right. like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or dealing with wars and things like this. Um, and so I think that the one malady for which there is such an obvious solution, which is don't drink, idiot, mm-hmm. um, has always landed on the bottom of the list right, right. of things that we should deal with. Um, that's one explanation. Now, the flip side of that is that's suggesting that every medical professional ever is only out there for virtuous reasons and doesn't want to make any money because right. it seems to me that there would be some uh, other benefits to curing something like this than just, um, you know, helping... Making Sunday mornings feel a little <laughs> right, well, nicer, yes. yeah. Um, so it's one of the conundrums that is at the heart of the book, yeah. I think, is that why, um, when we have made so many advancements in every facet of science, as far as we can see, we still throw up our arms and go, how could anybody possibly solve this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we, we all believe that uh, we've... Well, most of us believe we put people on the moon and yep. that we can, you know, uh, throw robots into our blood to figure things yep. out. And yet uh, this cure for the common hangover, um, it, it still seems to hit a part of our brain where we go, no, no, impossible, impossible, which, uh, which is strange. Mm-hmm. And I think that, in fact, that psychological mechanism that stops us from believing in it may be part of... Uh, the warning system, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think we can all agree to a certain extent that a hangover is a warning system to not do this too much and to not do it again. Yeah, don't poison yourself. Yeah. yeah. Now, the flip side of that is why don't we really heed the warning system? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, so many of us, you know, uh, um, get a hangover and then, as you put it, quickly forget about it next yeah. weekend. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Um, so it's, as with everything, this stuff, it, it, these were the dichotomies I was trying to, uh, trying to come to terms with and investigate in different ways. And so there ends up being a lot of, you know, psychology and pseudo, pseudo philosophy yeah. in the book of, me just trying to figure out these questions while trying to find an actual cure or remedy to uh, to this malady. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. So did you find that drinking different things 
lessened your hangover. I mm-hmm. often heard, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever the old rhyme is, no wine after right. liquor or whatever. Yeah. liquor, you've never yeah. been sicker or something. Yeah. Oh. And then you forget which way the rhyme works it, and, yeah, yeah, and do it Clearly, backwards. I just yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there's that, or people say, oh, if you only drink uh, clear liquor, if you only right. drink vodka, right. Right. you won't have as bad a hangover as you will with bourbon. So, um, I understand that people like to have these kind Mm -hmm. of guidelines, but they're not necessarily helpful. The more that I dug into these kind of truisms, uh, the more I found them to be untrue. So, um, I'll briefly tell you the the things that I did discover and that I I do believe to be true. Um, So, there is a – one of these kind of um, truisms is that the lighter in color – your drink is mm-hmm. the safer it will be. Right. <laughs> um, that's not necessarily true. Now, if you are looking at a, an extremely um, refined vodka, so that's been dist- mm-hmm. uh, distilled o- over and over and, and very refined, so that the impurities have basically been boiled out of it, or yeah, sure. Then, then sure, then okay. And if and if the dark uh, li- um, liquor you're looking at is some sort of concoction that uh, in order to make it taste and feel good, it's been pumped full of, um, you know, different sugars and additives and so on, then okay. But here's the thing is that if you were to take, say, uh, a very well made single malt scotch, which is, which gets its dark color from the, the wood that it is, uh, that that it's um, aged in. Yeah, in the barrels. And it gets its flavor from the wood. Then the way that, for example, a a single malt scotch that's properly aged works is that there is a, uh, the the barrel is first charred, right? Right. And uh, this was discovered accidentally, like so many things that we've, uh, that that, that we now know about alcohol, which were just happy accidents. Um, You know, when they would put, uh, the white lightning, this uh, th- this raw, unrefined um, uh, uh, alcohol into these barrels, and then send them to other places, and they'd be, you know, uh, um, kind of tossed around yeah, on the back of a yeah. on the back of a horse cart or whatever, and then they would arrive um, in some other country, and they'd open the barrel, and wow, suddenly this stuff tastes really good and has this beautiful, rich color, and so on. It's because they charred the inside of the barrel, and when that happens, there are two layers. There's a toast layer and a char layer, mm. and one of those layers is additive insofar as it adds these wonderful tannins from the wood that give a scotch its uh, color and flavor, and th- there's another layer that is subtractive, which actually works as it was described to me by a malt master uh, in, in, in the so- same way that Velcro does insofar as it has these little hooks that hook onto the, imp- the uh, impurities yeah, and yeah. toxins and draw them out into the wood. Like a filter of sorts, it, it, yeah. It, it's, it's really quite magical yeah. and it all, uh, accidental. So this is one of the reasons that a very well-made, uh, usually pricey, um, uh, single malt scotch will, could be one of the safest right. drinks you could take in. Uh, while we're on this topic, I would also um, uh, bring up uh, red wine, which has become very problematic for some people. Uh, that creates 
migraines for a lot of yep. people and other disturbing uh, responses, sometimes with only after a few sips. And in the research on this book, I kind of came down on the idea that although the big winemakers are telling us that this is because of things like sulfides or tannins, uh, I don't buy that because those have been part of winemaking forever. And when we come back, you will tell us I'm gonna give you the why secret. red wine gives I'll you a give headache. You Stay with us. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After in One Man's Quest for a Cure. The author is Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl is an author. His new book is called Hungover. The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. Now, I stopped you mm -hmm. at the end of the last segment because you're about to drop the bomb. <laughs> Why people get, or some people get, a hangover after, in some cases, or a headache, after just a couple of sips of red wine. I like red wine. It doesn't mm -hmm. affect me. I'm knocking wood uh, on that because I would hate to have to give it up. But I do know people that mm -hmm. say, oh, it's just, I, I can't. I just can't drink it anymore. Yeah. And you're about to tell us why that may happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it is one of the modern tragedies. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have a lot of people in my life who love red wine. And for them, the pain of it is not worth it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been trying to figure this out, this, uh, because, um, what we are told, as I said, uh, before by m most experts, uh, in the field is that it has something to do with sulfides, mm -hmm. uh, histemic reactions to sulfides and tannins, uh, tannins are a necessary part of the winemaking process and have uh, always been there. Um, so also in looking at this, I can't find evidence of these kind of reactions to wine until very recently. We're right. talking the last couple of generations. Mm -hmm. And I've read everything you could about, <laughs> you know, responses to yeah. different uh, alcohols. So um, my belief, and it is, people think I'm a crank when I say this kind of thing, or a conspiracy theorist, but my belief is that it is pesticides, uh -huh. okay? And this is because um, there are now entire economies, uh, you know, some countries have put all of their uh, um, eggs <laughs> into the basket of winemaking. Yeah, all the grapes in the Yes, yeah. the, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but um, there's a lot depending on wine, in, on the wine industry yeah. worldwide. And the way that we protect this extremely valuable product, these wine grapes, is by saturating them with pesticides. Uh, the thing about a grape is that it is mostly surface area. You know, it's yeah. a little sphere with a little bit of juice in it, but it's mostly surface area. And that surface area, if it is saturated with pesticides and then it is unable to be washed, which is an important part of the mm -hmm. winemaking process because that magical enzyme that turns a grape into wine rather than grape juice is on the skin of the grape. Right. And so you must necessarily not wash these skins that are saturated with pesticides. And then for a red wine, especially a full-bodied, dark, luscious red wine, it must luxuriate with these skins. Right. These skins must become part of it uh, in every sense. And so th this, to me, seems like 
a logical reason that when you are then drinking a glass of wine, which is essentially made up of hundreds of grapes that are uh, and their skins, mm-hmm. that you are bringing more pesticides into your body than almost at any other time. And, and it affects people differently. Now, we happen to have uh, a producer, Andre Pru, who is a, a winemaker. Oh, you this, have a, oh, this is a gotcha moment, uh, isn't gotcha it? Moment. Is so I'd like to bring him in here and uh, see what he has to say about this. I, I definitely think it's an interesting theory. Um, I know, Richard, when I was talking to you while we were walking to the studio, I mentioned that when I'm drinking and now that I'm drinking higher quality wines, yep. more expensive wines, that I am getting less of a hangover if I do decide to overindulge. And the thing is, when you're talking about high, high-end wines, especially when you're talking about places like France or anywhere that's um, organic or, 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 or biodynamic, yeah. they use less pesticides and chemicals in their vineyards just to, to try to get higher quality fruit. So I think this is the key, and he touched on it, uh, which is that for my friends and family who are suffering from things like migraines and stuff from red wine, when they switch to a truly organic wine, mm-hmm. they do not get those responses. Right. And that, to me, is the litmus test. And uh, so I completely agree with your producer there. And I would say for any of your listeners who um, are who have stopped drinking red wine because of the pain from it, try an or- a truly organic wine and, uh, and see if there's a real difference, because I believe there will be. Andre, give your wine a plug. Uh, my oh, wine yeah. is 80x.ca. It's a little virtual winery in Niagara, and I, I agree with everything that you're saying. It's definitely worth meriting more research. Okay, and, and drinking uh, more of your ADX wine. Uh, I think we should yeah. all go there after this talk, shouldn't we? Should we go to this winery? <laughs> it's going to tell you it's a couple hours away, but maybe, maybe so. <laughs> now, you tried hundreds of so-called treatments. We touched mm-hmm. on it uh, a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. You made the the terrible mistake of trying <laughs> an old English cure, putting uh, soot in milk, and then you followed that up by drinking a cup of olive oil. Um, they seem like reasonable on their own together, disastrous, and you can tell you can detail <laughs> that if you like. Uh, but what were some of the stranger ones? What were some of the odd ones? Well, okay, there are, there are simply strange ones. Mm-hmm. That, you know, for example... Uh, um, there's apparently an old um, Puerto Rican um, hangover remedy that um, that involves putting a wedge of lemon into your armpit and squeezing it. Mm. Uh, you know, thing, things like That's just to take your mind <laughs> off. Of, like, how so, ridiculous maybe, is this? And maybe. you stop thinking yeah. about the hangover. Um, what one thing is that I found that was most interesting though is that some of the seemingly obscure remedies uh, from ancient times carry through to today and have, as far as I can tell, some scientific reasoning to them. So, for example, um, one of the oldest uh, remedies that you'll find, going all the way back to Pliny the Elder, um, has to do with uh, fowl eggs, whether they be the eggs of owls or uh, ostriches or chickens. And... uh, and of course, one of the most common, um, you know, sort of everyday remedies we have these days is, is either the greasy Canadian or American bacon and eggs or yep. the British proper fry up. Yep. Um, and there's uh, there's a lot to be said for eggs, which I, I which I discovered because there's there's an amino acid in eggs called N-acetyl-L-cysteine, which is actually one of the more uh, for lack of a better term, magical ingredients mm-hmm. that I've uh, that I've discovered and actually that I use in my own concoction. Another example would be um, uh, cabbage. 
boiled cabbage going back through the ancients has been it, it's it's in many sort of drinking songs and yeah. rhymes and I didn't know why <laughs> and it's it's always been seen as a um, as as a remedy and in fact cabbage has what we now call a chelating effect which means that it goes into the body hooks onto toxins and pulls them out of your system mm. as does uh, that uh, famous chimney sweep uh, uh, charcoal. Yeah. You know, if you go into a, an emergency room with, say, a, a, a toxic shock or a drug overdose, they'll often give you charcoal uh, or tablets and so on, and that does the same thing, filtering uh, out your system. I looked up a few. Okay, Let me great. just bang. Okay, yeah, yeah. We've got a couple minutes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mix cinnamon in wine and sip on it. Any kind of sweet wine will do. That sounds like a really... Uh, Good way to get a hangover. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, it sounds that, like the beginning of a hangover, not the end. Maybe of one. you were reading the list of how to get a hangover, That's not how right. to treat a hangover. Well, a lot of these are like have a shot in a beer, a stale beer if you've got any. Nah, break a yes. couple of eggs and put them in the beer. Do not eat the eggs, though. You just want the the, yes. the okay. essence of the eggs. Okay, apparently. so that one that makes some sense to me. Uh, you know that there was um, that's the hair of the dog a, that, that bit you. There's the hair of dog, and and that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. We should have that conversation, yep. man. Uh, okay, eat a white Bermuda onion like an apple. Oh, I know where you got these. These you got these from this wonderful uh, Frank M. Paulson. Who, if we, uh, if he was still alive, that's somebody you should have on your show. <laughs> this is a guy in the fifties who uh, set out to try as many hair of the dog right. uh, folkloric remedies as he could, and traveled all over North America talking to people in bars about their famous and, hangover remedies. And, and bartenders, and I, that may yeah, well yeah. be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I write about, about a bit about him in the book. He's a fascinating character and it, and has, as far as I know, the greatest um, archives of uh, folkloric hangover remedies ever, uh, ever compiled. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. The writer is Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. Here's another one. Cut a big piece of watermelon, uh, if you can get a hold of one, and punch holes in the meat with a fork. Pour half a glass of gin gin over it, and then eat it down. Be careful of the seeds, because they'll kill you, it says. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that one, too, that makes sense, because uh, reintroducing alcohol into your system, i.e. the hair of the dog, Mm -hmm. uh, there is some scientific reasoning to it. And combining that with getting your sugar levels back up, which which would be happening with a watermelon, also makes sense. Uh, and I'm happy to get to do a deep dive on hair of a dog when you're ready. Yeah, when we come back, we're we're pretty much out of time for this segment. When we come back, we'll talk about the hair of the dog yeah, because that. that was when I was a bartender. Uh, I used to I worked mostly at night. I did it for about 17 years, I think, mm-hmm. through the 80s and into the 90s. And uh, in the 80s, I will tell you that. It, the business was different. You'd work a lunch shift and people would drink martinis and then go back to work. That sure. didn't, that stopped happening near the end of my time as a bartender. But I would get people uh, coming in in the morning as soon as the bar opened yep. and they would, you know, like tomato juice and a beer or uh, give me a shot, the hair, the dog, the bit, you sort of thing. Yep. And I heard it over and over and over again. I've never been, I don't know, manly enough to do it myself, but uh, uh, but we'll, we'll figure out why it works when we come back. My guest is Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. It is available. We're fine, and I suppose not so fine, too. Books are sold. You can buy it online. You can buy it anywhere. Uh, stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. Uh, he spent the better part of a decade studying hand. 
Hangovers, and the result is a fantastic book. And it's probably, I'm going to say, the world's defining document on what it's like to be hungover and what to do about <laughs> it. Because you claim to have found the cure. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to talk about Hair of the Dog for a little bit. But the book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. Uh, we touched on Hair of the Dog a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people seem to think that this is a cure. Certainly when I was a bartender working day shifts, I saw yeah, sure. I saw a whole lot of it. Um, I'm not sure that it, it the, I, I don't think I've ever done it, so I don't think it Got would it. really work okay. for me. So the concept is ancient, ancient. Mm-hmm. It goes back to uh, uh, and Tiffany's, I think, or somebody's going to correct me on the name of it. Yeah. You know, one of these ancient playwrights um, uses it in uh, in verse, and um, it and he uses it in an offhand way, suggesting that this was something everybody knew about back then too. Right. Uh, the idea being, of course, that you are plucking a hair of the dog that bit you the night before as a metaphor for taking a sip or a drink of whatever you were drinking the night before, the right. thing that hurt you. Um, so in, in, our, in, our, in our drinking culture, we can uh, sort of um, divide hairs of the dogs into two b- large categories. One being a sort of soothing balm, uh, one of these milky, frothy, yeah, sweet yeah. kind of things that might, yeah, that yeah. might that that you could see would have psychological benefits, maybe yeah. just to make you feel a little better, like being hugged or put in a warm <laughs> bath or something like that, uh, uh, and would also perhaps give you some of that um, sugar to uh, uh, get, get your system right. kind of feeling a little better. Uh, then you have the sort of what I would call short, sharp shocks. These things that are, uh, you know, um, bitter tonics, sometimes mixed with things like, you know, uh, gunpowder and uh, <laughs> or what have you. Um, so, and I think psychologically, those work in different ways. Right. One to jolt you back into your day and another to soothe you back into it, perhaps. But if we look at uh, their, their common denominator, which is the alcohol, mm-hmm. which is the essence of the hair of the dog, they There is some um, scientific reasoning to it. Uh, A a great science writer named Adam Rogers, who uh, um, wrote a great book called Proof, put me onto this. Um, And one of the things that happens when alcohol is being broken down in your body, which is, uh, and then leaves your body, Mm -hmm. which is, that's the withdrawal that starts the process of hangover, right? One of the things that happens is that alcohol is essentially... Uh, ethanol, right? It's ethyl alcohol. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff that we're uh, talking about when we're talking about alcohol or booze. But so often, um, what finds its way into our drinks are also traces of methanol, okay? And methanol is not good. That's not the stuff you want because when the alcohol leaves your system and your body starts breaking down methanol, it turns it into formaldehyde. And that you do not want in right. your body. Right. Okay. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not until long after you're dead. Uh, but so one of the things that you can do by reintroducing some alcohol into your body is stop the breakdown of methanol in your body because your body goes back to breaking down ethyl alcohol. Right. So uh, by that reasoning, a controlled hair of the dog should actually really scientifically work. Now, the trick, of course, is to keep reminding yourself that this is a medicinal drink. And really, you should only have one, maybe one and a half. (laughs) If you keep going with those hairs of the dog, all you're doing is uh, creating an all-new hangover. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you're just working on it yeah, all yeah. over again, work yes. on getting it revved up again. <laughs> We've been teasing this uh, all the way along. My my guest is uh, Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After and One Man's Quest for a Cure. It's available right now in bookstores, online. Where is there an audio book? Oh. There is an audio book. I don't know if it's out yet, oh. uh, but I think you can probably pre-purchase it yep. if it's not out. And it might be out. It, <laughs> so, it, it may or may yeah, not be available, yeah. but it yeah, will yeah. be soon if yeah. it isn't. Uh, but we've been teasing this along, and, and you detail this in your book, the the, the decade-long search for a cure to the hangover. Uh, you you found it. You came up with one. Now, I'm trial s- and error. <laughs> a lot of trial and error. And I'm supposed to be careful here, Richard, mm-hmm. because uh, the lawyers have told me oh. that what I am supposed to say, and this is what I'm going to say, yep. which is that I found something that works for me. Right, right. Okay? Well, because I see, and, and that makes perfect sense to me because, again, after, you know, a couple decades of tending bar, mm-hmm. uh, alcohol affects everybody, you know, somewhat slightly differently. And, you know, the end result is sort of essentially the same. But, you know, there are variants in there all the way along. For sure. And and, and that definitely extends into hangover. Yep. Everybody has very different experiences of hangovers. Everybody has different physiologies, etc. Um, what ended up working for me after much, much trial and error in which I tried every tincture, tonic, ingredient, uh, you could possibly get, and then different mixes of them. Um, What I do, and I stress this, I'm not suggesting other people do this. (laughs) I am not a doctor and I am not prescribing this, okay? But what I do without um, uh, giving away too much, because I would like you to buy the book, but it is a mixture of... um, some very specific uh, B vitamins, Mm -hmm. okay? You do not want to be getting messed up with a uh, a catch-all, one of these multivitamins or even a multi-B vitamin because, for example, one of the many mistakes I I had was putting a B3 into a lot of these things, which is niacin, which ended up uh, giving me very adverse reactions, caused things like flushing syndrome and so on. Anyway, I I can safely say B1, 6, and 12 are the ones that I put in there. I combine this with a uh, strong but natural anti-inflammatory. So much of a hangover is inflammation. Yep. Um, and then I combine that with some, certain magnesiums. Different people absorb magnesium in different ways. So uh, I go into that in the book a bit too. And then probably the most important ingredient that I put in there is what I uh, referenced earlier, the N-acetyl-L-cysteine, mm-hmm. which is an amino acid supplement. It's also a precursor uh, cl- to um, glutathione, I think it is. Anyway, uh, all, all the sciencey stuff <laughs> is in the book, but that's the essence of what I use. But the most important aspect of it is timing. Right. Right. So these ingredients exist in many uh, hangover remedies, but um, are taken improperly. Right. So the trick. Uh, is to whatever you find works for you, and and in the book there are many suggestions of ways to find out what might work for you, um, uh, is to make sure that you take these things after drinking and before sleeping. Right. Because if you do it too early, it's just not going to work. If you do it too late, well, it's just too late. It's too late, yeah. yeah <laughs> Once yeah. the mechanism starts... It's very hard to stop it. Right. And to some degree, you wouldn't even necessarily want to because so much of what a hangover is, is our own body's immune system kicking in. Is fixing itself. Is fixing yeah. itself. And, uh, and you don't necessarily want to stop 
that. I'm speaking with Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. The book is called Hungover at the Morning After in One Man's Quest for a Cure. Uh, you worked on this for a decade. I mean, there's sort of informal research for part of that and then a couple of years or more than that of, of, uh, of hardcore research. Um, what kind of toll does that take on you? A deep one, Richard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I uh, I did become quite unhealthy. Because um, I know we, we've been sort of slightly almost flippant about this, and mm-hmm, I know I'm mm-hmm. going to get letters about, you're sure. glamorizing drinking and hangovers, and that's not uh, fa- what this fa- is about. Fair though. enough. And anybody who reads the book will will find that um, the two sides of the coin are, are, are constantly glanced at, at mm-hmm. least. And the end of the book uh, does, I wouldn't say it gets dark, but it comes cautionary. Yeah. Um, you know, physically, I did put on a heck of a lot of weight. My organs stopped uh, working in the way that they really should. Um, it, it had a lot of physical and I would say metaphysical uh, mm-hmm. uh, heavy effects on me, um, which I'm still, I also turned 40 during the writing of it, so, <laughs> which I blame on the alcohol as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, so uh, I am bouncing back. I'm trying yeah. to be a very, uh, healthy, uh, man these days. Um, but, uh, it sure does take a toll and alcohol is a powerful, powerful force Mm -hmm. that should not be toyed with. Well, it's interesting. You said in the first segment, and this is so true, you know, when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the throes of a hangover, you'll say, oh, I'm never going to drink. Just let me get through this and I will never drink again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you're like, I can go out for beers. I can. Yeah, and yeah. so it, it is it is insidious. Yeah, it's it, 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 <laughs> it's maybe the same thing as when you write a book, you know, yeah. and so far as like it's so painful, the book comes out, you say, I'm never going to write a book again. <laughs> and then a month later, somebody offers you a contract and you go, oh, yeah, I guess I'll try it. Well, I know because when we were chatting before we turned the microphones on, you're like, oh, no, man, yeah. this is it. Yeah. I will never write another book, and yeah. I said that's yeah. what everybody says yeah. after they finish one. This is yeah. this is the the great um, uh, connection among uh, writing, childbirth, and drinking. I guess. That's right. Yes. <laughs> um, what was the ultimate takeaway for you, other than the cure, and that there's got to be a, a broader theme, perhaps mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that you took away from this experiment? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to me, the 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 conundrums, the dichotomies, uh, are still. Um, perplexing me mm-hmm. and 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 they really have to do with um, is there this great ledger is it, is it really you know uh, the love you make uh, equals the love the, you take yeah, kind yeah. of thing yeah, yeah. you know that the more the higher we get the lower we have to fall uh, the you know the the the, the, um, the sort of more um, the more frivolity and adventure we get out of life, we're going to have to pay for it in yeah. some way. Is that is, balance, is it yeah. really just that simple? Because <laughs> the more that I um, the more that I dug into this, I, I started to feel well. Maybe that's just what it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> what goes up must come down. There's a price tag for there everything. There really is, and I think that this book is about that price tag. The book is called Hungover, The Morning After in One Man's Quest for Your Cure. The author is Shaughnessy Bishop Stahl. Thank you so much for this. Thanks. This was fun, Richard. And thanks to Andre on the board. Most of all, though, thanks to you for listening, and we'll talk again next week.